Good morning. As Jim read, we're in Colossians chapter 2 today, and we're going to be jumping around there a little bit today. So uh, I'm not going to kind of go through it in a, much of a sequence. I'm going to kind of be picking out verses and pulling them from different parts as they, uh, yeah, as they work for the sermon, I suppose, but, um, but also uh, to kind of draw out some themes for you. But I do want to give a shout out to the moms. And uh, I, as I said to one mom as we were talking this morning, I said, Mother's Day is the day where I always am painfully aware that Amanda is just better at this parenting thing than I am. She's just, just a better parent. Like, she's like, so like if you tried to, anybody try to do breakfast in bed this morning? Like anytime I've ever tried to do that, it's like a disaster, right? Things are burning. I don't know how Amanda can like cook eggs and bacon at the same time. I don't know how she's able to brew the coffee. And I'm always like, things are like kind of a mess and falling apart. And of course, I'm trying to like delegate things to my kids when I do these kinds of things. But Mother's Day is always a time where we're painfully aware as dads that moms, you're just awesome. And so we're really grateful for you. Women, we're really grateful for you, and we would definitely be lost without you. So thank you so much for everything you do. With that being said, we're continuing our series called Transformed. And what we're doing here is uh, we want to look at the fact that Christ, the risen Christ transforms us. What does that mean? What does that look like? And as we are talking about that, last week we talked about transformed identity. So if you didn't, weren't here last week, I invite you to listen to that sermon. But we talked about how Christ gives us a transformed identity, actually changes who we are. Actually, the uh, Bible talks about, Paul talks about Colossians 1, how he actually transfers us. God transfers us from the domain of darkness, which we're born in, to the kingdom of his beloved son. And that actually does something to us, actually changes us in a significant way. But today I want to talk about a transformed morality. Next week we'll talk about transformed desires, then transformed relationships. We'll end there. But today I want to talk about a transformed morality that you and I are actually called with a transformed identity to a transformed morality. We're actually called to live a life of obedience to God. Now I know like in the 21st century, talking about obedience to God is like not everybody's favorite subject except maybe for moms, right? You're like, today's the day where Pastor Evan's going to give me a lot of fodder for the fire, where I can tell my kids that, look, you're supposed to be obedient. Everybody else, kids, teenagers, dads, we're just like, obedience is not really our thing. It's not really what we like to do. Who's God to tell us what we should do with our lives? And that's kind of how we live in the 21st century, but the Bible does actually call us to obey God. It may not be in vogue, it may not be the thing we like to hear about, but God actually tells us we are to obey him. And I want to talk about two things today. And I want to ask you, what is your obedience motivated by? Is it motivated by do or done? Why do you obey God? Why should I obey God? Is it because I need to do something or has something been done for me and therefore I should obey God because of that out of gratitude? And I will show you, my hope is to show you that the latter is true. That is not do. We're not motivated by do. We're not motivated by earning love from God. We're motivated by what has been done for us in the cross of Jesus. And so let's first talk about do. That morality motivated by do will ultimately seek to earn God's love. 
Oftentimes, we think that we have to earn God's love. That God holds back his love like a withholding parent. And we have to earn it. We have to earn, uh, I'm proud of you. We have to earn, I approve of you. Or we have to earn, I love you from God. And so God doesn't tell us he loves us or he's proud of us unless we do something to earn that. And so last week when we talked about transformed identity, we talked about how we receive that in Christ and we, that identity that we receive in Christ is more loving and more freeing than group identity which says that your family or tribe say who you are or individual identity which is primary way we find identity in our culture is that you determine who you are. So Paul says in Colossians 1, he says that you're supposed to walk in a manner worthy. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling that God has put in your life. Walk is the way the Bible has, it talks about living, like living a life, living in obedience in a manner that's worthy. Worthy of following God. And that we talked about transformed identity is fruitful, it's joyful, it's thankful. So then Paul again in Colossians 2 says walk again. He says walk in him. And he roots our identity and the Colossians' identity in Christ. He says to be rooted and built up in him and established in faith and says that our identity is rooted in Christ and because our identity is rooted in Christ, what do we do? We abound in thanksgiving. Again, Paul is going back to Colossians chapter 1 and saying it again in Colossians chapter 2, how God has transformed our identity and that makes us fruitful, makes us joyful and thankful. And here he is again saying, look, walk. Walk in obedience. Walk in Christ. Be obedient to him and abound in thanksgiving. So why does he sum up chapter 1, what he said in chapter 1 and chapter 2? Because no matter how many times you and I hear the gospel, you could always hear it again. The gospel is not a thing that I believe once, and once I believe that, I don't need it again. Paul says it again in chapter 2 because he understands that no matter how many times I hear the gospel, I need to hear it again. No matter how many times I hear that Jesus lived the life I should have lived and died the death I deserved to die and rose again from the dead and has rescued me and transferred me from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son, how he's brought me into a family and he's, he's given me everlasting life, that I can hear that again and again and again. I need it every day and every second and every hour. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, we just sang. Because Paul knows it's so easy to forget it. It's so easy to forget that God and Jesus has transferred those of us who put our faith in him from a kingdom of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. It's easy to forget the doctrine of justification by faith, that great doctrine that the church was built on, that you and I have been made right with God before God because of the work Jesus has done on the cross on our behalf, and that you and I receive a status of justified when we put our faith in him. 
It's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to forget adoption that I am a son of God. I'm not an orphan, but I am a son of God. It's so easy to forget that I'm a brother of Jesus. And so Paul says, you have to hear it again. I need you to hear it again. I need you to hear the gospel again. Now remember, Paul hasn't met the Colossians. We talked about this last week. He's never met them. So they have heard the gospel. They believe it. He received a report from Epaphras, and Epaphras tells them about what their belief and their love in the Lord. And then Paul says, you heard the gospel. Let me tell it to you again, and let me tell it to you one more time. This week, like probably many of you did, leading up to Mother's Day, is read statistics on kidnapping. That's what I did, and I'm sure many of you did the same thing. I found out that the odds of being kidnapped by a stranger are 1 in 300,000. Now, I don't know why as parents we obsess over this idea that like if our kids are outside, a stranger's going to walk by and just like swoop up our kids. I always joke with my kids, nobody wants to take you, you're too expensive. But stranger danger is actually exaggerated. 1 in 300,000, that's what it is. Now, it's traumatic, don't get me wrong. But for perspective, you actually are more likely to choke on food and die. That, that risk is 1 in 3,000. All right, so you're like, yes, can't wait for today. So glad I came to church today to hear about kidnapping and choking on food. But here's what I'm saying. Stranger danger, the, re- the point I'm making is that stranger danger is exaggerated. But Paul understands that, but, but that being a Christian, being kidnapped or being taken captive by a way of thinking to earn God's love to, by a, to have a mindset of do rather than done is not exaggerated. Paul says it's so easy. He says, don't let anybody take you captive. Don't let anybody kidnap you. Don't let strangers come into your church and teach you that you have to earn God's way. You have to earn God's love. You have to earn justification. You have to earn God's approval. And he says the problem with this way of thinking is that it's not rooted in Christ. It's not fruitful, it's not joyful, it's not thankful because it's based, not based on what Christ has done for you, but it's instead it's rooted in what you do. See, there's a real good chance that you'll be taken captive by a mentality that you must earn God's love. It's real easy to fall into that. That you must do something in order for God to accept you. So when it comes to our morality, we think we need to be good in order for God to continue to accept me. And I know many of you, you've heard this a thousand times. I need you to hear it like it's the first time you heard it. You cannot, you do not need to earn God's love and acceptance of you. And I know many of you, I know many of your stories have been hurt by people that said you're not good enough. God's not happy with you because you need to do X, Y, and Z. And this is what's happening to the Colossians, that certain people are coming into their church and saying that their transformed identity in Christ, the justification that they receive, the love that they receive in, in the gospel is not enough. Based simply on what Christ has done for them, that's not enough. They need to do something to earn his love. They need to do more. So Paul says later, he says that they eat and they have to drink certain things. 
that they have to observe certain days of the week. They have to have certain spiritual experiences. He says later in chapter 2 that asceticism, he talks about worship of angels, which is either worshiping angels or some type of a spiritual experience where they worship alongside of angels. I don't know what that is. That sounds like a wild time. But people are telling them they need to have that experience. They need to have visions. Paul says the things that we do to earn God's love, those kinds of things, verse 8, he says, is empty. He says it's human tradition. Paul's not against tradition. The Bible's not against tradition, despite what you may have heard. Paul often talks about the gospel as a tradition that's been passed down. But he says this is a human one. And he says they're not holding fast to Christ the head. They're not nourished or knit together, and therefore they're not going to grow you as God can only grow you. That's what he says in verse 19. See, if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus with transformed morality, the cross can't simply be something in the past. It can't be something that was once done for you. And now you have to add to that in order to be loved and accepted by God. See, the reality of what Christ has done for us must be part of our present as much as it was part of our past. See, our obedience comes from being connected to Christ, not from being apart from him. So Jesus talks about how he's divine, that we're supposed to be connected to him, we're supposed to abide in him, that our obedience comes by being connected to Christ, not apart from him, because the vine nourishes us when we're knit together in him. And so many of us think about this. We go, okay, God saved me back then. I believed in Jesus back then. I needed the cross back then when I put my faith in Jesus. But now I have to do more for God to love me, to make sure God continues to love me. I need to do certain things. And what happens is you'll become susceptible to those thoughts. Paul's saying, you're going to be susceptible to that. You're going to be susceptible to being taken captive. These thoughts and these feelings from other Christians who tell you that you have to do more for God to love you. Where they'll say, Jesus saved you. Yes, that's great. You've been justified. Great. You've been accepted by God. Great. You've been brought into his family. Great. You've been given by the Holy Spirit. Great. Absolutely awesome. But if you want to keep God happy with you, you have to do these things. You have to act this way. And until you do, God won't accept you. So maybe you've heard people say, God saved you. Great. But for God to continue to love you, you have to speak in tongues. If you want a real relationship with God, that's where it happens. So if you don't do that, eh, guess you're some type of second-class citizen. When Paul makes that like one of the last gifts, we make it a first. Or if you want God to accept you, you can't enjoy the occasional glass of wine. You can't enjoy alcohol. Nope. You have to go to church every time the doors are open. Every time. As a pastor, I would love it if you did that. But God doesn't require you to be here every time the doors are open. 
In fact, I don't think I'm here every time the doors are open. Or you have to vote a certain way. You have to vote for this candidate or not sure you love God and God's not going to love you. You have to read this Bible translation. If you don't read this Bible translation, you're not going to find out God's will for your life and God's not really going to love you or accept you unless you read this translation. Or you can't listen to that kind of music. Oh, my dad always told me this story when he remembers hearing a sermon about how evil it was to listen to rock and roll because rock and roll, the beat is on 2-4, but in hymns, the beat's on 1-3, so therefore, 2-4 is demonic. Which is funny now because like every song is in 2-4. So we're really struggling here. Or that you, can't, you have to sing a certain type of songs, right? Hymns or contemporary. It goes both ways. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not like, oh, those guys, the old fuddy-duddies, those people, which everybody, like, kids always use that word now, that, that terminology, fuddy-duddies. The old fuddy-duddies, they sing hymns, but we sing contemporary music because we love God and God loves us. And if we're going to love God and reach people, we always have to sing these types of songs. And then God will be happy with us. Those people God's not happy with because they're stuck in their ways. Or you have to wear certain types of clothes to church. Or you can't associate with those people. I mean, they look different than you. Do you know how those people vote? You're going to associate with them? God's not going to be happy about that. And what happens is this kind of life leads to what we call legalism. This life where you have to earn God's love. And Paul says that's not holding fast to the head. It's not holding fast to Christ. See, it doesn't matter how beautiful your house is on the outside if the guts are a mess. It can be nicely decorated. I always pick on Joanna Gaines, so I won't pick on her today. I'll pick on Johanna Haynes. <laughs> but she, your house, it, could be, it can look exactly like that. Everything she has, everything she's done. It can be clean, it can have nice paint, it can be filled with all the best stuff, you can have all the best technology. Teenagers, you can have the PS5 and you can have an Xbox Series X because your parents weren't cheap to buy the Series S. Like I was with my kids. But if the plumbing and electric are a disaster, the house ain't going to be there that long. It's going to be a mess. You're not going to be able to enjoy that stuff. You can't plug in your Xbox because the electric's messed up or it starts a fire when you do, it doesn't matter. See, it doesn't matter how much you read the right translation. If you aren't connected to the vine, if you aren't holding fast to what Jesus did for you, the sin that keeps you from doing the right thing every time, it doesn't matter. Whatever it might be, can't be stopped by just fixing the outside. And what legalism does is says, let's fix the outside. And just try harder next time. And with that, you won't be able to stop sinning. You won't be able to obey God and make him love you. Because the Bible tells us that we're born into sin and we're put into deep debt to God. And it's too great. It's out of your reach. But if you keep thinking you can earn God's love and pay off the debt, you never will. And that will end up being extremely exhausting. 
Because the question is, like, if you have to do stuff for God to love you, how much stuff do you have to do for God to love you? Or if you need to keep God loving you, how much stuff do you need to do to keep God loving you? At what point? And it's not, that's extremely exhausting. So if you have the attitude of, and then what happens is you have the attitude of do, where you have to earn God's love, what you start to do is you start to treat God like some type of ATM. So that when bad stuff happens to me, or I can't overcome a certain sin, I can just go to the ATM and withdraw some of God's love, and then God will get me out of this. This bad stuff will stop happening to me. Because I put so much in. God, look at all this stuff I've done for you. Look at how I've done these, this to-do list, these do's and don'ts. Check this out, God. Don't I have enough in my bank account so that when bad stuff happens, I can go swipe the card, punch in the pin, and withdraw? Where God and my relationship with God becomes some type of transaction. When you do that, you're motivated by do. You're not motivated by what's been done for you. And, God, and Paul wants us to see that he wants us to be motivated by what Jesus has been done for us. Paul doesn't want us, the Bible doesn't want us, Jesus doesn't want us to be motivated to earn God's love, but understand that it's been earned for us. That transformed morality is motivated by what Jesus has done for us and how he has earned God's love for us. So when we look at verse 9 of Colossians, it says this, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Have been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who are dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This, set aside, nailing, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame triumphing over them in him. See, there's a difference between celebrating mom on Mother's Day because she's done so much for you and you want to show her your love in return versus celebrating mom on Mother's Day because she'll hold it against you if you don't. And isn't that how we see God? We see God as He'll hold it against me if I don't. So I have to obey him. Versus God loves me so much in Jesus that he died for me, that Jesus died for me, and what he's done for me, I'm motivated by that to obey him. See, when it comes to obeying God, it's not about what you do or what I do what's been done for us. It's not do, it's done. So we obey God because of what he's done for us. He's done so much for us and we want to love him in return. And we see this in this passage in two different ways. First, Paul talks about circumcision, which may seem like an odd thing to talk about 
But circumcision was the mark that an infant male of Israel would receive on his body as a sign and seal of God's covenant love for his people. And Paul says, you and I receive a circumcision without hands in baptism. What he's saying is that when we're baptized in the Christ, we don't earn it. We simply receive it. We receive the mark of what Christ has done for us in his death and resurrection. We receive a sign and seal of God's covenant love for us and our children, Acts 2 says. So baptism's another reminder Paul wants us to see that we don't earn God's love and acceptance, we simply receive it. Like, think about this. A circumcised infant does not earn circumcision. He receives it. Did the infant do anything to earn God's covenant love? No. Was he somehow special in and of himself? No. Like, our kids, I love, yeah, my kids are special. Everybody believes their kids are special. But in and of themselves, no. They're special because God has chosen them. Did he have enough faith or express faith before he received circumcision? No. Did he say, you know what? Today's a great day to get circumcised. I'm really looking forward to this. Mom and Dad, could we uh, set up some time with the priest to go to the temple and get circumcised? That'd be really awesome. I'm ready to do it now. No. The infant receives the mark. Receives it. Why? Because it's not about what he does. It's about what's been done for him. That God loved him as part of his people. That God chose the people of Israel. That God chose him. That God rescued him. That God loves him. So in the same way in baptism, it's not about what you do. It's not about what I do. I don't wake up one day and go, hey, you know, today's a great day to be baptized. Let me do it now. It's not about me. It's about what Jesus has done for me. So if I don't feel like I have enough faith to get baptized, it's not about that. It's not about my faith that I've summed up and I've worked up in myself. It's the faith that's been given to me and I've received baptism in the same way. And Paul also tells us that we were in debt to God because of our sin as we talked about. And did you pay this debt? No. God himself canceled this debt because of what Jesus has done for us and we receive that by faith. See, anytime we start talking about salvation as if it's something I did, Alistair Begg has a great way of talking about it. He talks about how like, if you end up in heaven and if any time you say, hey, why are you here in heaven? And you start the sentence with, because I blank, you misunderstood the gospel. It's always because Jesus blank. Because Jesus died for me. That's why I'm here. Not because I had faith, not because I obeyed, but because Jesus did this for me. And he said I could be here. And not only that, Paul says, Jesus, God in Jesus triumphed over the devil for you. See, teenagers, I don't know if you realize this, if you look back in history, what happened oftentimes is that Caesar, when he would take over a town, he would conquer a city, what Caesar would do, and this is kind of messed up, 
all right, but just follow me. What he would do, the people he just pillaged, murdered their families, raped their women, what he would then do is have them all come out in the town as he came in, and they would have to celebrate Caesar taking them over as he came in. And what that would do, that would shame them and that would tell them who's in charge. And Paul uses the same language to say what God has done for you in terms of his situ- the situation with you and the devil is that God shamed the devil, God shamed the demons, and he makes them stand up and watch as Jesus dies on the cross and rises from the dead and shows them, look, look at what I have done for these people in Jesus. And they will see that not only are they put to shame, but they also see who's in charge. And that they've been defeated and God now rules over them so that they no longer have power over you. See, we love God. Why, the Bible says? We love him because he first loved us. We obey God. Why? Because he first loved us. Because he first loved us by rescuing us from the domain of darkness, transferring us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He canceled your debt. He shamed Satan and the demons for you. And that's why we say it when we do baptisms. That's why we say we love him because he first loved us. And we all say it to the infant. We loved him because he first loved us. Because it's important for us to remember that. That it's not about what I earn or what you earn. It's not what's been earned for us. It's not about what we do, but what's been done for us and done for us first. So I'm patient with my kids not because I have to or I'll be a bad parent and then God won't love me and won't accept my parenthood, but because I want to, because Christ was patient with me first. And I want to show how grateful I am by being patient with them. And you think your kids are sinners who are really difficult to wrangle? Think about that for a second, how patient God is with you, who's a sinner who's very difficult to wrangle. I'm kind to others, not because I have to, and God will be happy with me if I'm kind to others. I'm kind to others because God and Jesus was kind to me first. I read my Bible and pray not because I have to, but because I want to. Because Christ initiated a relationship with me first. See, I want you to wake up and read your Bibles and pray, not because you think you have to, and God will be like, great job today. High five, Evan. Good work. Because God says, hey, I initiated a relationship with you. I would, I would love to continue to have a relationship with you and grow in that with you. I come to church not because I have to or cause, just because the doors are open. I come because I want to because God in Christ rescued me from the domain of darkness, brought him in, me into his family, and now I want to spend time worshiping him with my brothers and sisters. 
See, when I have the mindset of done rather than do, the cross becomes part of my present. It's not just something in the past. Each day I remind myself of it, and I live out of that reminder becomes motivation for obeying God, and I realize the pressure of earning God's love is off. See, if you're a follower of Jesus today, what I want you to take away, what I hope that you take away, is that the pressure on you to pull off a performance of holiness and sinlessness and faithfulness is off. It's not up to you to pull it off. It's up to Jesus, and it's up to the Holy Spirit to help us do those things. He doesn't abandon us. And when I understand that the pressure's off of me, when you understand the pressure's off of you, you become more grateful. You become more thankful. You become more joyful. You become more fruitful, all because of what Jesus has done for you. So what I want for you today, I want to take away from today, you to take away today, and what I want for myself is that I want us to obey God with a transformed morality based on what Jesus has done for you not what you have to do to earn his love.